You're listening to Muscles to the Masses, the podcast. We're covering muscles, of course, all kinds of movement, recovery, and fitness. I'm your host, Julie Reed. I'll bring information you can trust from maybe new-to-you sources. Today, I'm chatting with Sonia Price-Herbert. Sonia lives in New York, where she is a Pilates instructor, writer, speaker, and a former social worker. She is the founder of Commando Fitness Collective and the Black Girl Pilates community on Instagram and Facebook. Sonia is committed to Black female representation in fitness, as well as improving the health and wellness in the Black community through writing, speaking, and curating health and wellness events for Black women. She is comprehensively certified in Pilates and also holds TRX Level 1 and Kettlebell Concepts Level 1 certifications. You can follow Sonia on Instagram, at Commando Fitness Collective, and on Facebook, at ComFitCall. That's at C-O-M-F-I-T-C-O-L-L. Sonia, thank you for coming and talking to me today. Uh, why don't you start telling me about your experience as a social worker and how that helped shape your transition and approach to fitness? Well, I, it's, it's interesting, you know, because back when I was in, I went to a junior college before I went to a major university and I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I was also a music major. So I have many gifts. And uh, I was on a music scholarship and I wasn't sure that if I wanted to really be in music either. Because I was like, well, how could I make money off of this? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a great singer, but I didn't really know back then that was in the 80s, you know, the late 80s, you know, how I could make money as, you know, as a vocalist and things like that. Um, so I changed my major and I, I got into social work because I was reading through my local newspaper and I saw an advertisement for someone to work with teen moms. And it instantly clicked to me that, you know what, that is something I would really love to do. Like, what do you have to do to be able to work with, you know, with these girls? And so, you know, I did my little research, what you could do back then, which was basically going to the library, <laughs> not Google these days. Um, and so I found, you know what, this is what makes my heart sing. And uh, I changed my major to, to social work and, um, you know, the rest is kind of history there. But in regards to fitness, I've always struggled with, well, not, I don't want to say always, but probably late elementary was when I started to struggle with depression and, you know, due to, you know, several like different family traumas and all kinds of things like that. And so I wasn't sure, you know, as a fourth or fifth grader, you don't really know what to call that. You just know that you're sad and you don't know really what to do about it. So I struggled for a very long time and went through uh, some times in junior high specifically and, and also elementary school time where I was bullied a lot. So that kind of exacerbated the depression and things like that. My parents were in and out of being together, um, although I had a great relationship with my father and he was, you know, I knew that he loved me. He, you know, I'll have to say that he wasn't like the best dad. So, but he was my dad. So I was going through a lot of, you know, traumatic things back then. And as I started to get older, I found myself doing a little bit more physical activity. And the very first thing that I started doing was... I tried out for a cheerleader because everybody thought I was a great dancer. I think I'm a great dancer still today. <laughs> <laughs> so they, you know, so my friends were like, you should try for a cheerleader. And I was like, really? Yeah. 
So I decided in, I think, seventh grade or maybe it was sixth grade. I changed junior highs at that point. But I decided to try out for cheerleader and um, everybody thought it was fantastic. And at that time, you voted for who you wanted on the cheerleading squad. I didn't get as many votes, although I felt like I was the best and still do to this day. Uh, (laughs) um, But I didn't, you know, I didn't get it. Um, So as I entered into high school, then, you know, same thing. We had a we had a drill team. And everyone was like, oh, you're such a great dancer, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, fine, I'm going to try for the drill team. Yes, I think I'm better than everyone else here. You know, even even the, the girls who were my teachers for the drill team or instructors, you know, they're like, you're really good. We really feel like you're going to make it, blah, 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 blah. So I try for the drill team and um, don't make it. Really shocked very disappointed and, you know, go through a little period of depression and all that kind of stuff like that. So, so when I doubling back, when I tried out for cheerleader in junior high, I remember coming home from practice and my mom saying, wow, your body's trained, changed tremendously. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, she said your calves are bigger and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay. Um, and then I had, you know, several male um, classmates who would be like, wow, you got these big calves. And, you know, I'm, I mean, granted, I appear and I sound as if I am a big person um, in pictures and, you know, my voice sounds big, but I'm 5'3". <laughs> I'm, a tiny, I'm a small person. So when people meet me, they're like, you're so little and short. I can just put you in my backpack. And I'm just like, yeah. But I, you know, but I pack a big punch, though. <laughs> so um, from there, I was like, wow, you know, physical activity or whatever it is I'm doing, you know, I like what it does to my body. And I also felt better after coming home from cheerleading practice. And I was like, this is kind of great. So I didn't really do much back then. But as I got into college, I started back then they had lots of videos where, or rather they had, um, on ESPN, they used to have, uh, these exercise gurus and things like that. They're probably now a thousand years old by now, but I used to watch those shows and I do the exercises with them. They're like, Oh, this will give you a nice firm, butt, or you know, firm up your arms and all this kind of stuff like that. And so I was just like, I really like how this feels for me. So in college, um, I would go to the gym and I would, you know, I started lifting on my own. I started doing aerobics. That's what they had. That's what they called it back in the day. Um, I started like running and I noticed that I felt better and I, you know, I just kind of kept it up. Um, And as I went on to a major university, I met my now ex-husband who was also working out and we worked out together. Um, and all that kind of stuff like that. And, you know, got married, had kids, kind of put, you know, working out on hold until after I had babies and tried to get back into it and still struggled with the whole depression thing and stuff like that. And so years later, I meet my Pilates teacher, Cynthia Shipley, uh, who used to be my daughter's ballet teacher from like six years old to 18. And she taught Pilates at Harlem School of the Arts and a friend of mine who was also my daughter's 
modern teacher said, hey, let's go to this Pilates class. I didn't know what the hell it was. I was like, what is this shit? I don't even know what it is. Like, <laughs> is it like weightlifting? You know, because that's what I do. And he's like, oh, it's about your core, you know. And so I was like, I don't really need that, but I'll give it a try. You know, I'm game for something. And at that point, I, I, there was something about fitness that just kept drawing me to it. And I was like, I want to, I know I want to do something in it, but I just don't know what. And so I went to my first Pilates class with Cynthia Shipley. I found my whole black ass life there and found out that I couldn't do any of the exercises that well. <laughs> and, but I felt a change after going to her classes. And um, from there, I was just completely hooked. And I spoke to her after class one day and I was like, how do I become certified? Like, this is awesome. And why don't more black people know about this. And so I was just on a mission to become certified in Pilates and take this whole thing to my black community. So I got certified in 2007 and completed my complete certification in 2008. I started teaching in Harlem and taught for five years, you know, my, not my own class, but a class, two classes for a friend of mine's wellness um, studio and uh, work for a big box gym, which will remain unnamed, but you can always look on my LinkedIn to see who I work for. Um, (laughs) um, And so I was kind of thrown into fitness, to be honest. I had, I was going through a divorce at the time and I was one of the senior uh, social workers there at my job, I was working for uh, New York's, one of New York's, I think the only one in New York's needle exchange. They do harm reduction. So you guys can look that up. It's a long explanation. But I was working for them and I was one of their senior folks. And and uh, my work just started going down the drain and they were really concerned. They knew I was going through a divorce and things like that. And, you know, just things were just not going well. And they were, you know, so that, they had to end up firing me. And, uh, you know, this is, I think this may be the first time I'm actually talking about it, like really what happened. I I basically will tell people like, oh, I lost my job. You know, it could have been like, you know, I got laid off or something like that, but I actually got fired. Uh, I'd never been fired from a job ever in my entire life. And, um, but what was really precious about my being fired was that my, executive director and my program director, um, we all cried (laughs) because they had to do this. And they said, you know, you're one of the best workers that we have. And for us to have to do this, we really just don't want to do it, but but it's best, you know, and uh, we know that you're going through a lot and we want you to know that we still, we still love you and we still respect you. And we hugged it out, literally. Um, so I was probably one of the best and only firings I've ever, (laughs) I've ever had. Um, and they're still, you know, I still respect them today. They're very, very supportive of me during that very difficult time. And once, you know, I got my stuff and and walked out, I called my mom and I was like, Hey, I just got fired from my job. And this is what happened. She said, you know what, you're going to be fine. Just go home and sleep. And that's what I did. And, um, I was working for this big box gym very, very, very part-time at the time. And I said, my kids were young and I was just like, okay, so I have kids to support. 
I'm going to take these days to figure things out. My mom had paid my rent for that month. And I said, okay, I guess I'm going into fitness full time. So I just threw myself, you know, every, my entire body into it. I slept there, you know, not day and night, but I was there a lot, built up my clientele and just kind of built a name for myself from there. And so from there, I just started to brand what I thought was me as an instructor. And uh, so that's kind of how I ended up into it. I, I was literally like thrown into it. So here I am almost seven years later and teaching Pilates full time and now writing and uh, on podcasts like this, which I never imagined that I'd ever been be on anyone's podcasts or even writing specifically for anybody for pay. <laughs> um, so here I am. And, and I know you asked earlier, like what, um, what is, how does my social work background relate to fitness? I feel like having been in social work for the many, many years that I was in, that it made me a better instructor. I, what I have found and what I have observed in many instructors and trainers and things like that, they tend to keep things very, very business. And I understand that I had to do that as a social worker. The ethics are different. Um, so you can't necessarily compare, but you sort of can. Um, but you're also dealing with people's, you're dealing with people's mind, bodies, and spirit and, and both and, you know, and, and, and both, uh, both aspects, but in fitness, it's the boundaries are, are not as, as, uh, as closed as they are in social work, because it's, it really is more of a, a, a social worker client, um, relationship. And you have to keep those boundaries pretty, you know, very strict. So I wouldn't go to my client's, you know, house and hang out and, you know, and us just go on vacation together or whatever, they wouldn't give me a gift. And, you know, that's just, that was just part of my ethics as a social worker. Whereas with, as a Pilates instructor or trainer or whatever um, someone might be, you know, then the boundaries are, uh, they, they can, they can cross a little bit more. Um, Cause it's, it's just different. This, the type of service that we're giving similar, but, but different in regards to ethics. So. For me, I find that most uh, instructors and trainers will specifically keep their boundaries very, very, um, very, very strict. And, that, and that's fine. That's fine for, you know, some people prefer that. Whereas for me, because I am the person that I am, I prefer to keep, I prefer to, I like for my clients to know that I do care about what goes, goes on outside of their workouts with me and I feel like you should because what they do on the outside of their workouts with you affects their workouts with you so if they're coming in from a very difficult day or maybe they've had a death in their family or I did have a client who had a very 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 bad argument with her boyfriend who was a piece of shit and she was late she was obviously uh devastated and upset and I sent her home and gave her back her session because 
I wasn't going to train her like that, you know? And sometimes I think that we can get so, so engrossed in training people um, and putting up that boundary that we forget that they're actually human beings with souls and, you know, and spirits and feelings and, and families and friends and all kinds of things. So for me, coming from the social work background, I, that just comes with me. But I also will say this, that social, social work didn't make me. I made social work. And I think that's what makes me different from, you know, many other social workers that I've seen. I've also mentored some amazing ones who are still in the field now, and they're absolutely fantastic. Um, but I, I never wanted to, although it was my career for several years, I never let it define me. I defined social work, just like for Pilates, I define Pilates. Pilates doesn't define me. So you get what you get when you walk through the studio door, wherever it is I'm training you or at your, or at your house or apartment or wherever, or out in, you know, out in a park or something like that. So you get, you get me. And I just happen to teach Pilates and I happen to teach it pretty fucking well. I just happen to be a social worker and I happen to be a pretty damn good one. Regardless of being fired, I was still great. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like how I got into it. Um, pretty vulnerable, but <laughs> now I'm talking about that, but I think it's good for people to know I'm pretty open about my struggles and, uh, I never want people to feel like, you know, I just arrived one day cause I didn't, none of us did. And particularly in fitness, you probably know this as well, that you know, they expect for us to be like these high and mighty super, you know, superstars, happy all the time. And we've never had any problems and we've always looked this way. And, you know, and we just go home and we're just happy. We just wake up at four o'clock in the morning and everything's great, you know. <laughs> and then we go to bed at like eight o'clock at night and just everything's, everything's great all the time. We're just excited when that's not the truth, you know. And I don't ever... I wasn't like that as a social worker. Um, and of course, you know, again, I did have boundaries with my clients, but I never wanted them to think that I was just like, you know, just cause I'm going to a home and maybe you're not. And it doesn't mean that my life is fantastic because we've all had struggles and we all still do struggle. And so that was what I brought into fitness is that, you know, I'm still going to be me. I'm just going to be in fitness. That's it. So, I, yeah. I really appreciate that. And, and something that's, that's really sticking out is when you said social work didn't make me, I made social work and the same goes for Pilates and fitness. Mm -hmm. it, it speaks to a boundary that you have with the work itself. And you touched on it completely how there are a lot of personal trainers and, and people in the fitness industry who feel all consumed by the work. So how have you developed that boundary with the work itself? I think that just me just being who I am is that. And that I, you know, I choose not to put up all these walls so that I'm not accessible to my clients because it's about being accessible to them. It's about creating a rapport and for them feeling comfortable with you. 
you know? Um, now, granted, there's always going to be those clients, and this is social work or fitness, um, that, you know, they, you just don't connect at all. You're not that person, and that's totally fine. And over the years, um, I have, you know, come to realize that that's, that's the case. But I've also created some boundaries for myself, and, um, having taught for 11 years that, you know what, um, I don't think this is a good client for me. So I think this person needs to work with somebody else. Um, so I, I have created that boundary for myself and not just work with whoever they threw at me. Um, but I think that I, um, I think that I just, you know, I just came in just being who I am and, um, you know, I, I just, I want to be as genuine as, as possible and just not be there. Am I there for the paycheck? Absolutely. Aren't we all, (laughs) but I'm there for the paycheck also because it's what I love to do. And I want that to show when I, when I teach, you know, whatever it is that I, I do teach or whatever it is that I, that I do, I want people to be able to connect to it. And to me, connecting with my client is important because it's like, why in the hell am I there? If I don't even want to fucking connect with you, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm just there to do the work, I'm a machine. And I'm not a machine. At least that's how I how I see it. A machine is just a machine, and that's it. It comes in, it does you know, it does its job. You turn it on, you turn it off. That's it. And I'm not turning myself on and off unless I want to. And with my clients, um, you know, it's like I said earlier, um, you know, Pilates fitness doesn't make me, I'm, I make it. So I am, I am, I am that. So I just, I make it better with my presence, just like mm-hmm. you make, you know, whatever it is that you teach or, uh, or train in, you know, you make it better, you know, it doesn't make you better. So it wouldn't even exist if you weren't even around. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be able to function. It would just be like out there in the air somewhere. So if it didn't have us, I mean, nobody would ever know about kettlebells or, you know, or battle ropes or Viper or, um, you know, Pilates or yoga or any of those things. Nobody would know because they'd just be sitting out, out there in the universe, but it needs us to show people that, hey, this is great movement for your body. And I think it's great, but it also takes you being a person, a real person and connecting with that client. So then they can connect with what you're teaching. Cause how can I teach you something if I'm not, if I, a, I'm not connected to it, then I'm not connected to you. So how can I make a connection? So, yeah, I'd say, I don't know if that's, that's the answer, <laughs> but I think, you know, um, but I really, I, I do, I, I love that question. Thank you for asking me that. It, it was very, um, it made me really like, let me search a little bit here within myself. Hmm. Well, so yeah, that's a pretty good question. So thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, so I want to go back a little bit to when you were talking about being fired and I, 
I want to go back because you said one thing that really caught me was that this is really the first time you're openly talking about being fired. And I want to ask a little bit more about what that's like. And is it a product of time or processing that has allowed you to feel like you're ready to talk about it? I think that it's a product of time, um, also age. <laughs> I mean, I'll be 50 in December. And one of the things that my amazing Southern mom told me is that you, you get to a point in your life, like your 30s is kind of like, um, you know, kind of fuck that shit, 30s. <laughs> and then your 40s is like, you know, fuck it, 40s. And I'm in that point, but I'm also at the end of fuck at 40s. And so now I'm at the point of like 50s, like I really don't give a fuck 50s. <laughs> and so that's where I'm at now. And so um, I think over the, over the years that I have, um, you know, experiences and all kinds of stuff like that, and um, I've just become a lot more open with my life. And of course, I'm not telling everybody, my, you know, my whole life story and business, but I think that it's important for people to know that I have not arrived, never will I, um, that I've also been fired from a job. Um, and it was also a healing thing for me because I wanted to, there was a part of me that wanted to, I guess you could say wanted to protect myself, um, or protect my reputation whatever that was, which I think I feel like I have a great reputation within fitness um, and the people that I know. So I didn't want to come across as like a bad person because I had been fired. But I mean, so many people have been fired before. I mean, even some of the, you know, the greatest athletes, some of the greatest celebrities, you know, Oprah's been fired before, I think. Um, so <laughs> why, if, if she or anyone else can talk about being fired, then why can't I? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm definitely not on her status, but, um, but why not? Why can't we talk about those things that are, are difficult? Um, and when you do talk about those things, there is a, there is a healing that comes with it also. And one of the things that I, I also talked to, and maybe this is getting a little bit off the subject, um, but one of the things that I, that I learned as a social worker and, and for myself personally is that we don't allow ourselves as human beings to grieve. And what I mean by that, I don't mean grieving death or a divorce or a breakup or something like that. Those are the typical things that we talk about, like grieving about. But you can also grieve being fired. You can also grieve um, leaving a job. You can also grieve maybe breaking something that was precious to you. So there's grief in everything that we do. But as humans, we don't tend to deal with that. Whatever, what, however big or small it might be, you know, something that is painful for t to you causes you grief. So you, you grieve it. And I say that because I didn't allow myself to grieve a lot of things in my life, which is why I ended up in therapy. And I talk about that pretty extensively, you know, and being on antidepressants, which I still take 
now I just started taking them and I am so for them (laughs) (laughs) and therapy as well. But, you know, that's what gets me through the day. You know, that's, and that's, that's what I need. That may not be what everybody else needs, but you know, that's what I need. And so for me, kind of putting myself out there um, and, you know, being vulnerable and saying, yeah, I got fired. You know, it's it's my way of of dealing with it. It's my way of grieving, having been fired from a job and leaving people that I was pretty much family with and clients. You know, that's that's a lot. You know, I, I lost a family, you know, because of something, you know, that I wasn't doing. And then I had to grieve, um, you know, even being ups- upset with myself or being disappointed. So I feel like as human beings, if we could learn to grieve every situation, no matter how large or small, they'll really make a difference in our life because grief, excessive grief turns into depression, into depression and anxiety and all the other things, you know, cause it's pent up um, because we haven't allowed it. We haven't allowed the healing. And we have to allow ourselves to grieve as long as we need to, however long that is. Eventually, we'll come out of it, but it's okay to grieve, whatever it is, even if it's, you know, it's a finger cut. It hurts, you know? So it's like, let me just say it hurts and grieve it. Okay, whew, that's over. So now I can, I can move on. So that's, that's the main reason why I'm talking about being fired um, from my job is so that I can grieve it because I, 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 I didn't, I protected it. I hid it. I, you know, and I thought I was okay with it and I wasn't because I kept protecting. I kept telling, giving people an excuse like, Oh, you know, I lost a job. You know, I mean, that's very general. When I could have just said, oh, I got fired. That's basically what happened. I wasn't doing my job. And I wasn't. I wasn't doing my job. Well, a few things. I really appreciate the honesty and and the matter-of-factness. You were fired because you weren't doing your job. And I think that that, that you had had reasons, but that happens all the time. And I think that uh, being open about that is really, is powerful to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, especially for me. And even just to, to say it out loud is, uh, you know, that's, that's healing for me because now I'm dealing and I'm confronting it. I'm being honest with myself about it. And I can't say, you know, I'm not going to, I'm never going to say that, you know, oh yeah, I've grieved everything in my life. I haven't. There's still stuff that I have not grieved. I'm still in the process of grieving, you know, and it might take a lifetime, you know, but the fact is, is that I'm grieving it. And that's what's important. Like I'm, I'm grieving and I'm allowing myself to do it. And some things you don't have to say out loud to other people, um, but other things it's good to say out loud because you like, for instance, being fired because, you know, it's a, it's a shameful thing. Who wants to, who wants to get fired? <laughs> you know, or who, who wants to, who wants to have to tell someone that you got fired um, from a job, you know, cause it's embarrassing. Um, it's painful, but maybe your story can help someone. And so that's why I'm pretty open about a lot of the things that I go through because there's someone out there who feels like they're by themselves. And I know what that's like. 
So maybe if I share my story with someone, then they can experience some healing from that and they themselves can start to grieve it, whatever that may be. So maybe I might be that catalyst for them to start the, the healing process. One of the things that you touched on was grieving the physical leaving of a space. So what do you recommend for people as a first step who have to go through that process? Because it happens a lot. You could be leaving a job, you could be leaving a relationship, you could be leaving a home or a friendship group, things like that. What do you recommend for people to do? I would suggest that you allow the feeling, allow yourself to feel the feelings, whatever that may be, whether it's anger, uh, frustration, whether it's sadness, whatever it is that you allow yourself to go through all the feelings that you feel when you're grieving, whatever that may be, or however it is that you're feeling. You don't necessarily have to cry. Some people might be angry. You know, that's fine too. You can be angry. Um, but feel the feelings. I think a lot of the times we, you know, when we have some sort of loss, uh, what we do is we, we just say, well, you know, I'm good. It's all good. I'm just going to, you know, I got stuff to do anyway. I'm just going to go and just, um, you know, just dive into this. And I can actually give you a, a very recent, um, for instance, <laughs> which is my son, who I just dropped off at college this past weekend. And this coming weekend is my first weekend without him. And I, you know, I had, I had two dreams last night. It didn't really necessarily have to do with him, but it did have to deal with me feeling uh, a sense of loneliness. Um, because, you know, my daughter's 25. She lives, she lives with her dad now and in Harlem. And, um, you know, I'm not dating anyone. I have, you know, I'm single and all and ready to mingle, I guess. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm, you know, but I am, I am single woman and, uh, thinking about like, you know, what am I going to do now? I don't have my son. We, you know, we can't go to the movies. We can't go here. I'm not going to his track meets what am I going to do? Um, and I started to feel this sense of loneliness. Um, and so my first thought was, and this is prior to, you know, to today, my first thought was I'm going to work a lot, which is basically what I've started doing. I'm going to work. I'm going to write. <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. work on black girl Pilates. I'm going to, you know, do all these events, you know, I'm going to do this. You know, I had this whole list of things I was going to do. And, you know, I wake up today and I'm like, I am so fucking lonely, <laughs> you know, and I, I was talking to some friends earlier, um, these friends of mine who are powerlifters, we have this Instagram group and they're very close friends of mine. And I said, you know, I just woke up feeling so lonely. And after I talked about it with them, I realized, you know what? I think I know what it is. I think that I am feeling the effects of my son being in college now. And now, as you and I are talking about this, I'm realizing I am grieving. I am in straight up grief because I don't have, I'm an empty nester now. I don't have, my my kids are adults. And even though I'm paying for his college education and things like that, but 
he's not here. He is an adult. He could choose not to come back home. He could just keep going. He could just do whatever he'd like now. And that's it. The same thing with my daughter. I, that's it. And so I think today when I woke up, I realized that, uh, you know, I'm grieving it and I need to grieve it. And it's, it's okay. It's going to take me a moment and it just kind of hit me today. And, you know, so here I am on, you know, Labor Day weekend, grieving my son being gone. (laughs) So I would say, you know, again, to, you know, feel all those feelings. And, you know, if that means you're going to cry for a while then cry, you know, if you got to look at pictures, fine. It's fine. You know, you cannot dictate how a person grieves. And that was one of the things that I also learned uh, myself is that you can't tell anyone, and I don't have the right to tell anyone how they should grieve a loss and how long they should grieve it. Because everybody's different and everybody's experiences are different and every how someone grieves is different. And so if you actually allow a human being to grieve however they'd like to and feel all the feelings, then that's when their healing's going to come. But if we put all these boundaries and restrictions um, and all these other things on a person's healing, then they're never going to heal. Telling someone to get over it, like just get over it and just move on. No, you can't tell them that. Maybe you can do that, but that other person can't. So you let them grieve however they need to grieve. And if they need another place to do that, if it becomes overwhelming for them and it's out of your, you know, you know, it's out of your job description, then you say, hey, you know, maybe I'm not the person that you should grieve this with. You know, have you thought about like talking to someone else like a, you know, a therapist or, you know, or a social worker or something like that? And that's what you do. You don't put restrictions on people's grieving. I didn't want those restrictions on myself. So why would I do that to someone else? You know? So I would suggest, you know, feel all the feelings. There's nothing wrong with it. We're human beings. We're supposed to feel, I would hope. It sounds like you're giving yourself all this space to just feel your feelings. (laughs) And I don't think that people do that. No, we don't. And uh, I think we're probably most guilty with ourselves and we feel like because we're telling ourselves like hey just you know man up or woman up or whatever whatever we want to identify as um you know just move on you know i mean then we take that and we do the same thing to someone else you know and i don't think we're being fair to ourselves or anybody else you know just Just grieve, just feel the feelings, do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, Because that's also, that's a form of self-care as well. You know, we talk about self-care and fitness and wellness and health and all that kind of stuff like that. But we kind of see it as more of a, you know, like a sort of like a material thing. Like, oh, I went to the spa today. Oh, I got my nails done. Or, you know, guys, oh, I went and got my hair cut. For me, I would also be doing that too because that's what my, you know, I go to a barber to get my hair done. I mean, so we do those kinds of things. We shop or whatever. But, you know, grieving is also self-care as well. You know, laying on my couch 
And crying about something is also self-care. Calling my older brother, Juan, and talking to him for two hours about something that I'm really upset about and him listening to me and telling me things are going to be okay, that's an act of self-care. Maybe going to the gym, and even if I don't do anything, maybe I just want to go in there and sit in the sauna for an hour. That's self-care. So self-care is a broad, is a broad thing, and, and grieving, to me, falls underneath self-care. And so by me talking about being fired um, for my job, that's, that's my way of caring for myself by grieving that. So it's all just an act of self-care, feeling feelings, being human. We yeah. all bleed, you know? Yeah. One of the common themes that I'm seeing as we're talking in your life in general and how your coworkers responded to your being fired, how you interacted with your client when she came in and had a really difficult um, interaction with her partner and how you actually view self-care and, and speak about your internal dialogue is compassion. Is that something that is intentional in your life or something that you think has grown as a result of your experiences? Can you talk more about that? I think it's both. I think that because of my experiences in my life and the things that I felt that I missed, that's what I wanted to give to other people because I didn't think that I got it. And one of the things I said to myself as I started my social work major was that I was going to be the worker they would never forget mm -hmm. that I was going to be that person that they're like, you know, you know what? She might've busted my ass on a lot of things, but she fucking cared for me. Like mm -hmm. for real, like, of course she's there to get a paycheck. She should get paid for her work, but she really did care about me, you know? Um, and I took all that into into fitness as well because it's still my clients. It's just I'm in fitness now, you know, two totally different careers, but really one and the same to me. Um, and so I, I want my clients to know that, you know, I like, I understand that you have a job and you have kids, you know, or that you have partners or that, you know, you got your period today or that you, you know, or that somebody made you angry, you know, I want them to know that, like, I totally understand that because, hell, I might have been feeling some of those same feelings today. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's okay, you know, um, and movement heals, whatever movement that is. You may not have to go in and get your ass kicked. Um, to feel better. Sometimes just the simplest things, you know, maybe just might go in and just do some mobility work and that's it. You know, but hell, that felt good. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. mean you have to go in and, you know, and deadlift 491 pounds, you know, for five reps. I mean, maybe it will work for you. I don't know. You know, you find, you know, what's going to make you feel better. And so for me, it was you know, being compassionate um, 
it's, it is intentional because that was what I wanted and I didn't get enough of it. And so I said, since I didn't get enough of it, I'm going to make sure that I give it to other people. However, that looks and wherever it is, mm-hmm. I'm going, you know, I'm going, I'm going to do that. But just because I didn't get enough of it doesn't mean that I can't give it. And so by me being compassionate to other people, that I'm also directing that compassion back to myself. So it's both experience and intentional too. Well, you brought up a really great transition point to talk about your, your brand as an instructor. You had mentioned it earlier with, with Cynthia. Can you talk about what it means to, like what you're putting out into the world as an instructor and what your, what your brand, and, and I'm using the term brand mm-hmm. kind of loosely, like what, what your intention is with, with your uh, movement practice. So, um, so with Commando Fitness Collective, which I sort of rebranded the name a little bit, um, it's funny because sometimes I sit around thinking, what in the, what in the hell did I come up with Commando? Like, why did I say Commando? <laughs> so I got the name because I feel like in one of my classes that someone called me that. Or they used to tell me that I was like a drill sergeant and, you know, (laughs) things like that. They were like, you know, like you are like, and they would ask me like, you know, were you ever in the service? I was like, absolutely not. I mean, I was raised around boys, you know, because I have nothing but brothers. So I'm a bit of a tomboy. Um, I have a lot of male cousins on on my mom's side. So maybe that's part of it. But I said, I don't know. I think that that's just how I like to teach because I, you know, I've always been one of those people who, I never wanted um, someone to tell me that I couldn't do something that a man couldn't do. And I was like, I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. You know, (laughs) I mean, granted, I can't be someone's father, but I mean, physically, so you're going to tell me that I can't do it because I'm a woman, you know, no. And so I took that into um, my brand and that I, I wanted the women that I taught, you know, they would be like, well, I can't do a push-up. And I was like, no, the hell you can. We're going to work on this. So just to break it down. So we're just going to break it down. And before you know it, you're going to be able to bust out more than you think. Um, because, you know, I felt that way. I mean, I, I haven't always had a strong upper body. I mean, I can't say I can bust out. I did 25 push-ups right now. But, um, but my push-up game is, you know, fairly, you know, it's all right. Um, I have good technique. I'll say that. Um, and so, you know, for... For me, it was just, it was about pushing people past their own potential um, and changing their mindset of who they thought that they were, who they were told that they were. Because I know that for me, um, you know, I was told um, not by my parents by any means, but by people outside of my family, you know, that I wasn't this or that I thought I was this. And you know, they told me all the things that they, that they thought I would never be. Um, and so those very people um, who told me that I'd never be, you know, any of those things, all those things I kind of am now. So, <laughs> you know, which is really interesting. Um, and, the, you know, those very same people, I don't know if they remember saying those things to me, but, um, you know, they see me now and they're like, wow, you're really doing all these great things. Oh, you're writing. Oh, you're doing this, whatever. And all this kind of stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's how life goes. 
Um, so I think with, with, um, you know, Commando Fitness Collective, that that's, that's me. I, Commando Fitness Collective is a collective of everything I do is my writing. It's Black Girl Pilates. Um, it's, it's speaking out against, um, racism and white supremacy and white privilege within the fitness community. Uh, sometimes outside of that, but mostly within the fitness community and, you know, and calling people out. I don't call people in. If I want to call you in, that means I'm telling you to come to my house so I can, you know, but I don't call people in. I don't do that. I call you out. So then you can deal with that shit in front of everyone else. I don't need to call anybody. And we've been calling people in for decades. Mm-hmm. Now you get called out on stuff. Um, and so it's a collective of, of, of who I am, you know, who is blunt, you know, doesn't really give a fuck anymore about a lot of things, but also uh, very compassionate and very passionate about what I'm doing. Um, very passionate about fitness and health and wellness for my own community, for my black community. Uh, very passionate about Pilates and what it can do for my community. Um, very passionate about writing um, and, you know, and getting our voice out there, you know, getting my own voice out there, um, how I feel about things. Um, so th- it's just a conglomerate of everything that's me. I mean, if I can somehow throw uh, music in there somewhere, maybe I will. <laughs> I don't know, but I wanted to be, um, you know, cause you know, I mean, even music is fitness too, you know, it's, you move to it. Um, and even though I'm a singer, you know, people move to people's, you know, vocals mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I wanted it to be, you know, everything that I am, you know, and, and, uh, when you look up the definition of, of commando, it's not just no underwear. <laughs> that's what folks <laughs> most that's what most people think it is like, oh, you're not going to no underwear. No, I'm not. Um, so it's, it's special forces, you know, it's someone who does special, special forces projects, you know, they're, they're highly skilled. It's someone you send into, in, into war to do those specific, you know, to target those specific things. And, you know, that's, that's what I feel that I am. I, I have to have a thick skin to do it. Uh, to do what I do, to deal with, you know, the comments and all kinds of things that I get back and having, you know, having a, a platform like Black Girl Pilates specifically for Black female uh, Pilates instructors with no, no white people in my, in my Facebook group at all um, and never will be. Um, so I have to have a thick skin for that. So I have to be a commando on special forces. Um, for myself on special forces for my sisters and brothers, um, who are a part of Black Girl Pilates. Um, so yeah, so that's, I'm so glad that you asked that question too, because, you know, this is the first time that I've been able to specifically vocalize how I saw Commando Fitness Collective. And I battled with it for years. Like, what the fuck is commando? I know that it's me. I know people, when they see me, the first thing they say is, you are a commando. They may not know the rest of it, mm-hmm. but they, they know that I'm commando. And um, I'm known as that, you know? They know me by my hair, <laughs> freckles, and commando. They know I teach Pilates. 
and things like that. And I teach it pretty fucking well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is the first time that I've been able to really put it into words exactly what it is. So thank you for that too. (laughs) Thank you. Putting it all together sounds very powerful. Listening to it, I'm saying like it, it, it is very powerful. It is, you know, it, it really is. And, uh, it's quite emotional in a lot of ways because I mean, I think this whole podcast is pretty, pretty emotional for me because it's like, I'm going through like this grieving process with my son, you know, I'm talking about, um, my brand and not being able to, you know, not being able to find like the words to, you know, say what it was. And so I can't believe I'm crying on a podcast. I think I may have cried before. (laughs) I don't like being vulnerable. Um, I'm very, I guess that's maybe the masculine side of me, which is not so good (laughs) Uh, because I think men should cry, but, or however people identify, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, describing what my brand really is, is a bit of, it's a little healing because it's been difficult, you know, to figure out, you know, where, you know, where does all this fit in and does it really make sense? And maybe it's bullshit and, you know, or maybe it's not, I don't know, but I haven't figured out why it's not yet. And, uh, you know, just you asking, you know, that question, I was like, wow, you know, that's the first time I'm actually able to like vocalize and like, huh, all these years I've been trying to figure out what the fuck. <laughs> and now, you know, it's like, I feel like it's released a part of me that's just been battling. And so, you know, I feel like I just took a deep breath and just like, you know, so well, yeah. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Maybe uh, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> I, I mean, thank you for sharing. I, I feel incredibly honored to be listening to this firsthand. And then I know I, I just feel incredibly honored. So thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I, that was a great release. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so let's talk about something that I, I know you're very passionate about, um, which is black girl Pilates. Mm -hmm. Um, it started as a group called Pilates instructors of color. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me about the evolution of that into black girl Pilates? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, many, many moons ago when I was a very young Pilates, you know, sprite, (laughs) um, I, uh, you know, I was just wondering, well, well, hell, are there other black Pilates instructors? I mean, you know, I know there's me, I know there's my teacher. I know there, um, you know, there was one other person that I knew who used to be my teacher trainer who's now in my group. Hello, Tila. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I knew. And so I, you know, I started looking for these people and somehow I was able to meet, um, and all of these, these ladies are in my group. I was able to meet, uh, Diane Harvey, who is, um, she and her husband 
they, her husband is actually over Dance Africa, which is held here in New York City. And they also have uh, a, a, an amazing dance group um, called, that's um, going to come to me soon, but if I can't remember, I'll bring it up later. And so I met her. I met uh, Marcia Dater, who is also um, in my group as well. I met Dallas Fuentes and Sarita Allen I met later. Um, and so we kind of started out, I didn't feel like I was, you know, the person to lead that because I was still very new, fresh, you know, wet behind the ears. And so I asked Diane if she would lead it. And so, um, you know, we kind of started out trying to meet and, you know, at the time, I think they were all not Marcia, but I think Sarita and Diane were still either dancing and Diane was definitely her group. Uh, Forces of Nature. That's the name of her group. She and her husband are, are still directing that group. They still are today. And they were just really, really busy and we couldn't get our schedules together. So things just kind of fell apart. So I let, you know, I just kind of, uh, it just kind of just died, you know, for, for a minute. And last year, and it's funny that I'm talking about last year because, God, it was last year. <laughs> um, in May, or probably like almost like late April, but definitely May. Um, I was going through a very dark period in my time, in my life, and I uh, was kind of depressed and just wasn't sure, like, you know, what the hell is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And all this kind of stuff like that. And, and this just kind of came up again. And, you know, there's lots of things going on in, you know, in our United States of America you know, with uh, the, administ- the new administration and, you know, lots of like very uh, racially charged things going on. And, you know, I was becoming, I was becoming a lot more uh, woke to my own anti-blackness. Um, and so I was just like, you know, I still feel pretty lonely in Pilates. And although I knew other, you know, black Pilates instructors, I was like, oh, I just, I need something, you know? And so I reached out to, uh, to two women um, who are both in my group. Um, and I said, hey, you know, I want to start this group. You know, I just want to find as many black Pilates instructors as possible female. Do you know any? And they're like, yeah. So they gave me a list of them. So I went looking for these women. I started following them on Instagram. And um, I decided, you know, I'm going to create this Facebook so we all come together and talk. And, um, you know, from there, it just kind of like blew up. You know, I had 50, you know, within a week or so and, you know, they found people and they found people and they found people (laughs) and I kept looking for people and uh, I decided to start an Instagram so I could feature them so people could see like, hey, there's this person here who's in, you know, there's Maria Earl who's in Barcelona, Spain, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's Labrice who's in Switzerland, you know, there's Teresa who's in Oakland, um, you know, there's Crystal Hadnot who's in Houston, you know, there's this person, you know, they're all over the world, you know, we're not just in this one little space, you know, there's, you know, we're all over the world. And so um, it just kind of happened like that. And I, I only... I only did it because I've just felt alone. I needed, I needed to see that there are other black women who are teaching this method. And, and, and I wanted to figure out like, how 
can I get it out to my own black community? I can't do it by myself. So there has to be like other people <laughs> and other men, although there's no men in our Facebook group, but we do, I do feature a lot of our brothers on Instagram. Um, and I talk to them and all this kind of stuff. So I was, you know, I was just like, I just wanted to not feel by myself. And I wondered if other, you know, other black women who taught Pilates felt the same way, you know, so I created the group and, you know, things just kind of blew up from there. And um, it really all started with my, the article that I wrote for Girls Gone Strong um, about the lack of black female representation in fitness. And that literally came out the weekend, maybe the Monday after Charlottesville. Like, and they planned it that way too. And I remember talking to, to Molly, hey Molly, and uh, Yvonne, who was my editor at the time, hey Yvonne, um, about when this would come out. And they were just like, we think it needs to come out now. And um, so it literally came out right after Charlottesville happened. And after then, I mean, things just like escalated for me. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, uh, I just, this is not, you know, what I expected. And I got the, I, I, I was able to, um, to write for them because my friend Catrice Jackson, who I talk about all the time, hi Catrice, uh, she is one of the most incredible black women I know, um, and someone I consider a mentor and also a friend. Um, I was able to meet her through, um, through Jennifer. And Jennifer, I hope I say your name, girl, right. But if I don't, I think it's Vogan Sagan. But do you know, you know, JBB Fit? Yeah. So she talked about her on, on Facebook. And I was like, who is this black woman and whatever? And how did she change their lives? And so I ended up uh, talking to her. And, you know, we talked offline. I told her what I wanted to do with Black Girl Pilates. Um, she was one of my biggest encouragers uh, and motivators. And she's like, you should do it. And then she also said to me, you know, hey, Girl Sound Strong is looking for more women of color writers. Would you be interested in writing? Because she knew, you know, I told her I, I, you know, had my own little blog and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. I followed them for years. And um, I said, I was actually like really, really close to like emailing them and say, I really love you guys. But I've never seen anybody on there looks like me. And then boom, Jennifer comes up in my, in my Facebook feed. And, you know, I'm like, wow. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up talking to Molly and Yvonne and, and, uh, that's how I ended up writing that article and, uh, you know, talking about black girl Pilates in it. And after that, it's just been like, you know, <laughs> I can't, I don't know how many podcasts I've been on quite a few. Um, and I've probably written so far like six, maybe six articles. And I currently have two. I think right now in my, that I need, that are going to be published soon. Um, so yeah, it, it's been, it's been, it's been a year. They, they, these women in my group are some of the most incredible women I've ever met. They're so talented and so beautiful and just, you know, they bring so much to my life and, um, you know, to go into the group and just, you know, see them talking to each other. I don't even have to go in and say anything in the group anymore. They just, they pretty much lead it. Um, so I don't have to go in and start any conversation. They start their own conversations. They talk about everything from, you know, 
what they use on their hair, <laughs> to Pilates equipment, to um, classes to take, to I'm coming into DC, is anybody around, so let's meet up, I need to take session, um, to you know, client issues, to business stuff, branding, we talk about everything, um, what's going on in our United States of America, um, you know, we, we talk about what it's like to be a black woman and the Pilates method, you know, which is quite, quite white. Um, and we all either, you know, some of us are, some of them are business owners, they have their own businesses, so they, they have their own Pilates studios. Um, and then there's some, you know, like myself who, who work for Pilates studios, there's some who are, um, you know, they do have their own business, but they don't have like a brick and mortar. Um, and they are just, you know, some of the most amazing women I've ever met. And, you know, I'm honored to, to be in the group with them and see the things they're doing and the events. I wish I could fly all over the United States or mm-hmm. all over the world and go to all their retreats and all their classes and hug all of them. But I can't do that. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. But, you know, maybe one day I'll be able to you know, travel to a lot of the places and, and just kind of see them and all that stuff. But right now, you know, I'm kind of relegated to, you know, I've given them all my personal phone number and I was like, you can call and talk to me because, you know, now how that's going to look after we get to like a thousand people, (laughs) I may not be able to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right now we're at 263, I think maybe 264. So I'm cool with it. I, I, you know, they know I love to talk. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I, they are, uh, you know, they, they are my passion and, and, uh, getting them out there, getting them seen, you know, getting their events out there, you know, telling other, I also have another, uh, Facebook group specifically for black women who are interested in Pilates and, you know, they want to work with someone who looks like them and where can Mm -hmm. I find this class and where can I, you know, so then I can hook them up with an instructor that's in their area. If, you know, I also have women in that group who are interested in teaching Pilates as well. And, you know, so I have a couple of instructors who, um, are, who are also in that group. So they answer questions and all that kind of stuff like that. They put, you know, they put their blog posts in there, um, and all kinds of stuff. So it's like, you know, it's kind of educational for them as well as, uh, you know, kind of like a referral kind of thing, like where they can go and find an instructor and all that kind of stuff like that. So I have, I have that group too. There's probably like, maybe like 150 in that group um, and everything. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's small for now and I'm still trying to figure out like what else I'd like to do for them um, in the midst of all the other millions of things that I'm trying to do <laughs> right, <laughs> and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just um, just recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was had Black Girl Pilates uh, trademarked, so that was a huge, uh, huge, huge, huge accomplishment. And I got the trademark the very same weekend that we had our second annual Black Girl Pilates um, meetup. So that was fantastic. Um, I just put out my new logo today, which was designed by one of the amazing sisters in my group, um, Ife. Hey, Ife. And um, I got some consultation from um, from one of my other sisters, Frida, who actually works for the, she works for the USPTO. 
Uh, so she, you know, consulted me on how to like, you know, put my, where to put my R and, you know, understand mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, hey, Frida and hey, Ife. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so I have an official logo and then I'll, I'm currently going to have a good friend of mine. She's going to start a website for me, for them, for, you know, for Black Girl Pilates. And then um, hopefully I'll have some t-shirts because everybody's like, I want a t-shirt, a sticker, a bracelet, a, <laughs> a head wrap, <laughs> you know, a backpack, you know, a tumbler, whatever you got. So hopefully I'll be able to uh, be printing some t-shirts sometime soon. So I'm really excited about that. And um, just kind of, you know, I'm just trying to figure out where to, where to take it. You know, it's gotten so big and so well known and um, I'm trying to, you know, get it out there. Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's revolutionary, you know, especially within the Pilates method. Um, it's definitely revolutionary. Um, and just period, because people don't really talk about, you know, black people doing Pilates. They're like, what is that? You know, is that for white people? You know, that's typically the thing. I mean, I thought so. Um, but it's not, you know, cause there's a lot of us that teach it. You know, one of the elders who worked with Joseph Pilates was a black woman, Kathy Grant. And, uh, we have many, uh, women in our group who work with her for many, many years, um, side by side teaching and assisting with her. So we acknowledge her, uh, her life and her history and what she has brought to the Pilates method as a black woman. And for us, um, as black women teaching Pilates and black men teaching Pilates. Um, so yeah, so it's, you know, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been great. I mean, there's been some challenges and stuff, you know, I've been called races, which is interesting and divisive, but, um, you know, that's, I guess that's why, uh, you know, for folks who believe in God or some type of uh, entity, um, you know, I guess that's why God uh, let me do this at this point in my life because I'm at that I don't give a fuck 50. So. <laughs> so, so I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'll just roll with punches. That's what happens. Whatever. Um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's my passion right now is uh, – Black Girl Pilates and all 200 and something plus, plus the tribe members. So it's been, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. So you just, uh, you said you had an annual meetup recently. Is mm-hmm. that something, is, is your next meetup hopefully next year? Or are you hoping to incorporate some other in-person events in the near future? Um, we, that's going to be an annual event and it will stay in New York city until I can travel elsewhere or, um, until I decide whether I want it to be what, what I want people to host regional, regional events, mm-hmm. um, or there's just going to be one. Um, I also have in my mind there, there is something else I'd like to, I'd like to host, um, that I'd like for like a brunch kind of Pilates thing as a regional event. Um, I would probably host one here. Um, so basically we'd go to, we'd go, um, we'd have a Pilates class. We'd have someone teach it or maybe team teach it. And then afterwards we would, you know, we would go for brunch. Um, and just for, you know, teach, not just teachers, but even like our tribe members or even people who are not in our tribe, you know, just for a black women to come together and be with teachers and other black women who love Pilates and be able to like, oh my God, I can't believe that you guys ex- actually exist. 
um, and just, you know, have a great time and just kind of, you know, and delve into some black hole magic Pilates and, uh, and eat good food. Yeah. So I'm looking at doing something sort of like that, um, and everything, but I'm trying to, cause I also, uh, I also have another platform that is not on Instagram right now, but I have a Facebook page called black girl fit and well. And that was actually conceived during the same time as Black Girl Pilates, but something had to come out first and it had to be Black Girl Pilates. So I was in a very creative mood last year. (laughs) Um, So I put that on hold. Um, I started it in April with the very first panel. And I had uh, about 10 to 12 amazing uh, Black uh, women, and uh, non-binary folks. I have a friend who identifies, I think, uh, she and they, I think. Um, so I want to acknowledge that. Um, but my friend you know, was there and, and was oh, incredible. So I had my first panel in April. And we talked about um, specific for Black women. We talked about the importance of self-care for black women. And we also uh, talked about, um, we talked about representation and fitness and the things that we're seeing and things like that. Um, and how as fitness professionals, wellness and health professionals, you know, what we can do, um, how we're going to try to work to change that. Um, and then we had a workout class um, and we had us, we had us, um, a speaker who actually Concita, hi Concita, she she um, flew all the way from Dallas, uh, which is amazing because she didn't have to do that, but she wanted to do that. That's my homegirl for life. Um, she came out for the panel. I couldn't pay any of them, but I, you know, I I bought them gifts out of my pocket because I was just like, you know, this is incredible that you guys would even do this, um, and they were totally on board. Um, and that went really well. So I was thinking, I was wanting to have another one in October, but I think I might just, um, I might just do it again in, in, in the spring mm-hmm. um, and then have uh, have my Black Girl Pilates brunch kind of Pilates thing in October. Because it won't take me as much to plan it as opposed to like with my panel, I'll have to like get panel guests. Um, I'll charge this time for the panel. The last panel is free. Um, I'll have to get, you know, try to get like sponsors for food and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So take a lot more planning as opposed to like the brunch. I just need to find a space and a place to eat and somebody to teach, <laughs> any, <laughs> you know, any event right, maybe, you know, so I can pay the people who's going to be teaching. So, um, that's, that's an easy thing. So I may just put that on hold. So, so yeah, so I have all those three platforms and, um, I actually have something else that I'm thinking about doing and I'm just like, girl. how the hell you gonna do all this stuff but you know I guess that's maybe that's um part of the whole self-care thing and you know that whole grieving thing of my son being away and so I'm just like creating you know creating like a motherfucker just you know trying to like (laughs) trying to work through being an empty nester so um but yeah all of that's like you know all of that's the you know my my passion what kind of uh, keeps me going and uh, all that stuff besides, you know, besides just, you know, Pilates, just Pilates and fitness and just doing stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about all that. Yeah. So you have, I just want to uh, 
say the three different Facebook groups, the Black Girl Pilates. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Girl Pilates. That's a Facebook group and a page. Mm-hmm. And Commando Fitness Collective, which is my own personal Instagram. So you'll see my kids, you'll see my friends, you'll see the shit that I do. Um, my writing, articles, all that kind of stuff like that there. Um, and that's on Instagram and Facebook. And then um, Black Girl Pilates, which is Instagram, uh, a Facebook page, and also two Facebook support groups mm-hmm. for Black women. And then Black Girl Fit and Well is right now just a page. Um, I haven't put it on Instagram as yet. Um, so I just haven't made the time to do, to do it yet. <laughs> Um, and I'm running so many things at this point. So yeah, so that's all my stuff um, that I'm doing and working on. One person. Yeah. <laughs> I, am, I am my assistant. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a great segue into um, an article that you had mentioned to me before about creating safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about that work? So this part is... Um, this is all going to be pretty new. So I have, um, I have an article coming out in October that I'm finishing up today. That's actually due today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be on a platform called temper. And this is, uh, this is started by, uh, my friend Holly. I can't remember what Holly's last name is. I'm sorry, Holly, but, um, but she started this new platform that's going to launch in October. So I'm going to be, so the subject my subject is going to be uh, talking about the importance of safe spaces for, for black women. Um, I don't like to use women of color often because I feel like it's a very broad term. Um, and the experiences uh, between different women of color are, are different. Um, and I'm not saying that black women are better than any other women of color, but our experiences, um, we have a lot more anti-blackness than we have anti-anything else. Um, therefore, we deal with a lot more. Um, and again, I'm not saying that we're better than other women of color, but um, but there there is a difference. There is a big difference. So when I chose to name my group Black Girl Pilates, I meant black. Um, and so when I talk about the importance of safe spaces for, for black people, um, I mean for specifically for black people because we need that um, for healing purposes. Um, and although Black Girl Pilates is, you know, it's, it is, you know, a Pilates fitness based, you know, Instagram or, or Facebook support group, it still is about healing. And as black women, and I can only speak for black women, I can't speak for all women of color or women of, you know, non, non-black women, I'll say, who are of color. I can't speak for them. Um, but as black women, we need a space for healing. Um, we need spaces to be able to talk to other black women who are black like us, who have had some similar experiences, who can relate to what it's like to get up every day and go into, you know, to our jobs and, and, and very white spaces and have to, um, code switch or, you know, or, uh, 
or fall back a little bit because we might come across as too aggressive or even when we're not um, and, you know, raise our, our sons and our daughters and have partners, you know, and all that kind of stuff like that in, in this world, in this current administration. And so we need that without, um, without other people. And I mean, other people meaning white people being there to tell us how we're supposed to feel and what our experiences are supposed to be like when you have absolutely no clue what it's like to be black in this world. Um, and that we're those experiences that we have, um, are as a result of, of whiteness or white supremacy, white privilege of racism. That's why we have to deal with all these things. So, and it's sad that we have to give examples for people to understand, but it's, it's like if you have someone who's been violated sexually, what you don't want to do is you don't want to put those people who have been violated sexually, however, and whoever it was by with the person who was the violator, they can't heal in that space. And I don't even want to say that's an extreme example because we've also experienced that as a, as a black race, our families were, were, were raped men and women and children, um, you know, and, and beaten and, you know, discriminated against and, you know, spit upon and sprayed, you know, water and everything. I mean, we, you know, we've, our, our races experience that and we're feeling all of those things uh, from generation to generation. It's, it's passed down all those feelings and experiences are passed down through our generation. And so we're having to, to heal, to heal that. Um, and a lot of people would say, you know, well, that happened back then, you know, so why are you, you know, what's the problem now? Well, that would also be like telling um, a, a child who was physically abused by their parents uh, that, you know, who's dealing with the anger behind that now at age 30. Oh, that happened back then. Why are you, what's, why are you dealing with that now? Because it still hurts. And it's followed me through, it's followed me through my life and it still hurts and I still have to deal with it. So it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. So for black people for, for decades, having to deal with all of this stuff, you know, from generation to generation, having your parents, your, your parents and your parents' parents and their parents' parents tell them the same thing that you always have to be 20 times better than the white person that you work with, whatever work it is that you do from generation to generation, that says a lot. So my article is going to specifically speak to that. And I'm also going to talk about uh, the importance of, um, I'm also going to go back into my years of being a social worker and examine some of the things that I've seen that I never really talked about, to be honest. I just, it just didn't, you know, I just, my eyes were just not open to see those things. I saw them, but I didn't think there was anything I could do about it. But I was like, well, that's just the world. But I realized that there is shit that I can do about it. And I will do something about it. And it's up to me to do something about it. It's up to my community to, to do something about it. 
um, and not just just take what we're given. So my article is going to center around that. Um, my background as a social worker, what I saw there, um, and kind of like bringing up all those things because I'm going to have to really think deep about that. So it's been, you know, it's been a while. Um, and also, you know, what I've also seen in fitness and then kind of relating those two things that it's literally all the same. Um, and there's no, um, and I said this in a podcast before, there's no separation of church and state with racism, with white, white privilege, with, um, with white supremacy. It infiltrates everything, whether it's you going out to a liquor store and buying wine or whether you're going into a Pilates session or whether, you know, you're doing your strong first certification. It infiltrates everything and there is no separation. And for us um, to say that there, you know, well, we don't really have, why do we need to discuss politics or, you know, well, it's not about discussing politics. It's about discussing something that's just not fucking right. And you know that it has, it absolutely has nothing to do with politics to be honest. It's just about being humane and treating black people like they're humans, just like they're supposed to be treated and not a fifth of a, of a human. So I don't, there's, there's no separation to me of church and state. You know, it's all together. So I'm going to deal with racism in the Pilates studios that I work for, you know, whether it's micro or macro aggressions, uh, and I'm going to deal with it if I go to the liquor store. You know, so I'm dealing with it every day. So for us as black people having to deal with that and then the things, the images that we see on social media, on TV, um, and all the things that have occurred, uh, that are, you know, are, are racial in some sort against, um, against black people, black men and children and women. Um, you know, we're dealing with that. We're dealing with going into our jobs and, you know, uh, training or working with, with, you know, with white employees or, or white clients. Um, we're walking out of the train or walking home and dealing with all the stuff that's coming at us. Um, and we, we have to deal with that every day and smile at the same time and pretend that we're happy and that everything's fantastic when in truth, in fact, we're really not. And for some of us, you know, if we dig real deep, we'll realize we really, we really aren't. Like it hurts like hell. And so for us to have a safe space to go to, to be able to talk about and take a deep breath and be like, oh, can I just tell you what happened? And for someone that looks like me to be able to look me in the face or look across the social media platform, <laughs> and say, I understand, is healing. And to have, for us to allow um, someone to come in who has been the oppressor, or even if they didn't oppress us in some sort of way, they are the face of the oppression to come in, there's no way for us to experience healing of any type. 
we're not going to be, we're always going to be chained down. We're always going to not see us as not really that great. We're always going to want to code switch. So we need those spaces to be able to, you know, get ourselves all the way together, as my friend Bree would say. Um, and we need as many spaces as, as possible. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to, you know, I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we will have our own Wakanda one day. Who knows? <laughs> um, it's a fictional. It's a fictional place, but it's not really that fictional because a lot of us are looking for Wakanda in a space. Um, and so my Wakanda right now is Black Girl Pilates. Um, I also have some other Wakanda spaces, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where it's just, it's just us. And I can talk to someone who looks just like me, a bunch of them. And they understand. It's like, yeah, girl, I experienced that too. What can we do to help you or heal or, you know, something, you know? And so we, we develop our own Wakandas um, and all that stuff. Uh, so the importance of us having those spaces is for us to just get ourselves all the way together, you know, so we can go out and keep tackling what we need to tackle. You know, it just makes us stronger um, to be able to go out into these spaces, you know, and every time we get hit, we just get back up again. No problem. You know, but I might come back up hitting. That's the thing this time. Cause before I used to knock me down. Now you might, you might, you might try to hit me and you're probably going to miss this time, but you're going to get hit because now I'm in a space where I'm healed and I don't need, I'm not going to let you do it anymore. Um, or, you know, we don't have to put ourselves in that, those spaces. We create, a, you know, we create another, another job. We become an entrepreneur or we start working for people who look like us. And so, you know, we create our, our mini Wakandas or whatever it is, you know, um, for ourselves. So then we don't have to experience those, those daily things. You know, who wants to experience that? Nobody wants to walk around being, you know, in pain all the time. Nobody not any human person and definitely um, black people definitely don't want to walk around being hurt for the rest of their lives. I mean, to think that people would say that we're, you know, we're making ourselves into victims. We were victims. We still are victims. And, um, you know, are we, you know, and then people say, you know, like, Oh, you know, you guys are, creating the victim mentality. And God knows I've said that before. Um, that, oh, you know, we as black people are just making ourselves the victims. No, we're not making it. We were victims. You know, we're, we're experiencing having been victimized. And so now we need that healing. So how do we do that? We create a space, a safe space for us to go and get healed with our own people. That's what we do. And so that's the importance of creating those safe spaces for black people. And again, I'm only speaking for black people because I'm a black woman and I can't speak for, you know, other people um, who identify people of color. I can't speak for, for them, but I know for us, the black people, that's what we need and we deserve it. Whether people like it or not. So, so I'm really excited about that article coming out. 
And you'll you'll post about it on your Commando Fitness Collective page. I will. Okay. I will. Yeah. So we're both very very excited about it. Um, and it just kind of came up in the conversation. It was uh, Holly, and I think uh, her name is Emily. I think I apologize if it's not. But um, we're just talking, and she's just like, you know, what do you, you know, what's on your heart to write about? And we're just having a conversation. And, um, that came up and I was just like, I think this is it, you know? And, um, so I had, you know, most of my articles that I've written, you know, always, you know, there's always like some aspect of, you know, black girl bodies and stuff like that. Not that it won't be, um, of course I'll use it as an example, but I, I also wanted to, this article, I wanted to come from, um, a different aspect of my life, which is, you know, my social work background and the things that I saw there and how I can relate it to, you know, where I am, you know, in fitness and stuff like that. So, um, so it's going to be, you know, it's definitely going to be different than what I've written before. So I'm, we're, you know, we're all really excited about, um, about this article in particular, particularly me. Um, so I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably have more articles, um, that, uh, will come out very similar to that, but I do have, um, I'm actually co-writing an article with, um, an Instagram friend of mine, on uh, cultural appropriation um and we'll we'll post that later so i, I have two articles in, in the works so one i'm co-writing with um my instagram friend um uh, mabel hey mabel and um the other one i'm I'm writing on my own so um so yeah it's just going a little different direction but um i'm excited about talking about the importance of the safe spaces and and things like that which is just important and important for people to understand yeah. whether they want to or not, but at least they have something to read. You yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sonia, we're coming up on about two hours. We're at an hour and 45 minutes and this time has flown. I know. <laughs> I was just like, wow, this is, you know, but uh, can I just say this is every podcast that I've done, it has just, it really has been, every podcast has been incredible in its own way. And uh, it's been a whole healing process for me to talk. I'm all about talking about things, obviously, because I like to talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, this is definitely going to be, this is going to, yeah, this is probably going to be one of the most vulnerable podcasts <laughs> that I've done to date. Um but I, I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, once you, once this goes up and going back and listening to it uh, and, and, you know, just hearing like all the stuff that I said, cause I'm just like, God, you know, I don't even remember half the stuff I said, but it'll be great to go back and listen to our whole conversation and, uh, you know, and just kind of pull out those nuggets for myself, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you so much for, uh, for interviewing me and bringing out a lot of vulnerable shit, girl. <laughs> maybe you, maybe you should, maybe you should go into social work. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm usually you. sitting on the other end. <laughs> thank you for being very open and honest and vulnerable. Uh, as we were talking, I thank you so much. Um, yeah, same. Yeah. I do actually have three questions left. The lightning round questions. If you have time to answer those, yeah, I'd love to ask absolutely. you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, so what is the most memorable thing you've ever eaten? 
I will say that it was blood pudding. Whoa. <laughs> blood pudding. Yeah. I, uh, my kids, uh, dad is Caribbean, British mm-hmm. Caribbean, and they have this delicacy called blood pudding. And is it exactly that? And uh, they think it's fantastic. I tasted it and I couldn't keep eating it. But yeah, that's... <laughs> that's definitely memorable. I, yeah, it's definitely memorable. I'll probably never eat it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are, the, what are three people, books, or podcasts that have been influential to you in, in your life in general? It could be fitness specific, uh, but doesn't have to be. Well, the first one that comes to mind is um, the read. Um, they it's 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 a comedy, pretty much, but it's um, but they also talk about like pop culture. I don't even want to say pop culture. It's mostly like black culture, to be honest. But it's Kid Fury and Chriselle. They both live in Harlem. I actually, when when I get off with you, I'm they just theirs just dropped today. I'm listening to it. That is. Hands down, one of my favorite. I wait for it every Thursday. The read. <laughs> I think they're on Apple and um, I think Spotify. I think it's no, uh, not Spotify. It's the other, the other platform. That's one. Um, so they're my favorite. Another podcast I would say is my favorite. I'm going to say that um, she just actually put out one with a new friend of mine. I was on her podcast recently. Wild Mystic Woman. That's Layla Saad. Um, she just put out a recent podcast with Kristen. Um, she's Kristen Iris on on, uh, on Instagram. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Layla. Um, so that's that's another one. Another podcast I would say is my absolute favorite is D.L. Hughley. He talks a lot about um, the current administration as well as other things. He's also a comedian, and I absolutely love him. I wait, wait for his. So those are the three podcasts I'd say. And that, I mean, that doesn't even, it's, it's so hard because I have so many great podcasts that I love. But those are the three that I, that I love the most. So, yeah. And then last question, if someone came to Earth from another planet, what is one thing you would tell them? I feel like I'm up for Miss America or something. Let's see. Oh, that's a tough question. You know what? The, I'm going to tell you the first thing that comes to mind. Go back home. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'd say. That's what I'd say now. If Obama was still president, I'd probably say, you know what? Um, this, it's great. You know, although it wasn't perfect even with Obama, but, you know, just Obama. I love him. But right now, I'm just like, just go back home. It's not worth it. (laughs) That's what I would say. (laughs) First thing that comes to mind. (laughs) All right. (laughs) There you have it, right? (laughs) Yeah, there you have it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for being here today. I am very excited to uh, have everybody listen to what you have to say. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Muscles of the Masses, the podcast. To support Sonia, check out and share her articles and work at Commando Fitness Collective and at Black Girl Pilates on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, leave us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or buy a butt bag at musclestothemasses.com.